Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List, a podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mache. And today's show, we're getting ready for spring training. Uh, pitchers and catchers have reported uh, in Arizona and Florida. We're talking about prospects that we're eager to see in camp, and we're joined by one of our favorite guests, Nick Richards. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Lamar. Good. Good to be back with you. Hey, Jake. Always glad to be on this podcast. Yeah, definitely uh, excited to, to have you back. Thanks so much for joining us. And so we want to have you back. Uh, we love talking prospects with you. Love what you've been uh, continuing to do on MILBanalysis.com. If you guys have not gone to the website by now, don't know what you're doing, go to the website. Tons of good information there. Tons of good write-ups. Just an archive of guys that you um, probably have uh, heard of or seen uh, talked about that Nick was Johnny on the spot about um, with a lot of these guys early and often. So if you want uh, yet another source um, uh, of how to identify prospects, especially in your your dynasty or even in your redrafts, if you're trying to look for guys that you should be aware of, um, please go to MILBanalysis.com. And specifically, we want to look at some guys that will um, be in major league camps in spring training. Uh, some of them are non-roster invitees. Some of them are already on the 40-man. Um, but we kind of want to break down their games, how we feel about them, uh, potential chances for them to break camp with the team, and uh, overall, you know, their impact on uh, your dynasty team. So I want to ask Nick, how do you approach looking at prospects when it is this time of year, spring training or the you know start of spring training? What's kind of your mindset of scouting guys, looking at guys, et cetera? Well, you're looking at guys who have done well at the upper levels and are playing for a team where there's an opportunity. Um, you can be the best pitcher and the prospect in the game, but if you've just barely touched double A and there's five guys ahead of you in the rotation, it's very unlikely that you're going to have a great spring training and make the team. But the guys who've done well at double A and especially at triple A, and now you're coming into a team where it's sort of in flux. Who's going to be your top five guys? And suddenly in spring training, you show you're one of the five best. You've got the job. Or you come into a team where the the outfield is, you know, a bunch of mid-level guys. There's no one real dominant guy and you're a top outfield prospect. Well, guess what? The pathway is laid forward. As long as you don't uh, stumble in camp, you should have an opportunity. So that's really what I look for. It's, it's the opportunity, how you do in camp to some degree, and most importantly, how you've done at the upper levels. It's really unusual to see someone other than those who break camp. The rest of them, they come up in like, you know, May or June. Cool. Jake, what about you? What's your approach when you're getting ready for 
um, spring training, you know, the, the, the wonderful season of baseball is about to start. And you're thinking about prospects. You're obviously we already talked about FYPD, so your draft. Um, I imagine for most people they're either midway through drafts if you're doing uh, long clocks, or maybe wrapped up uh, the majority of your drafts. So that's done. Now you're actually able to start looking at guys. What's your kind of approach? Yeah, I think it's you know identifying who has the best shot to make the roster out of camp. You know, especially when we're when we're doing like redraft, um, you know, drafts this time of year. Um, doing some draft and holds and preparing for more of like the um, like the bigger drafts, the more high stakes drafts in March and whatnot. You know, now I'm looking at, at the draft and holds mostly. And, you know, we, I, we when you in redraft, you, you know, likely want to prioritize the guys that are going to make the difference. But you also want to be ready later on for those guys that are going to come up. So it's, you know, first focusing on the closest ones that are going to have the biggest impact, um, you know, and then being ready for later on. Um you know, and I, I wrote a, you know, top 25 starting pitching prospects that um, to stash and redraft leagues for pitcher list. Uh, Chris Clegg did the top 25 hitters, and that's what we were doing. We were looking at, you know, who has the best chance to be up, when they could be up. We kind of uh, separated the group into, like, who could make it out of camp, who could be called up midseason, and who likely is going to be in September if they do come up, you know. Um, and I think that's a good way to look at it, right? Um, you know, you have to be realistic about your expectations, you know, when, especially when you get deep into drafts and you have like the veterans that, you know, have, have a role, but they aren't very flashy. They don't have a lot of upside. And then you look, you know, and at a prospect that's going around the same time and you're like, man, he could be great, but that great could happen in 2024. Um, uh, you know, if he comes up and has a couple hundred at bats later this summer, you know, that's cool. And, you know, you could pick them up at that time, but you don't really want to focus on them now. So it's kind of making sure that you're not wasting time with guys that are going to just be dead, dead space on your roster. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, and yeah, just being ready for, you know, then the guys that are going to come up later, but being realistic with, with where these guys are at, like with what Nick was talking about, like, where have they actually been up until this point? That's a great point, Jake. Um, it, especially when you say in redraft, you get these big names and it's just so fun to just grab them early in the draft and then you're stuck because they're doing nothing in April, they're doing nothing in May, and what good is it? Yeah, yeah. so with that being said, um, I was telling you guys off mic, I wanted to call a little bit of an audible only because I saw this article last night and I think it fits right into our theme, um, ML com released a, a brief article that was essentially uh, a list of prospects that have some sort of chance uh, of possibly breaking camp with the big league team. Some of these names are super obvious, like Grayson Rodriguez on the list, obvious, um, <laughs> so like not really necessarily a, a big reach, but there are some, some other more interesting names, at least in my opinion. So I want to kind of spit some out there, kind of like one per um, division and, uh, and, and get some, get some thoughts and ideas. So we'll start actually in the AL East, um, and I want to go to the Blue Jays, and it's actually the first name that they have on the list. So this is Yasver Zulueta. Um, Yasver Zulueta is actually um, a bit older than what you might expect, but he has some injury history. Obviously, we all know about the 2020 loss year, but this was actually somebody that the Blue Jays were very high on pre-injury um, as a starting pitcher. Uh, I think there's some assumption that he could break camp, at least coming uh, out of the bullpen uh, to start and maybe working his way into the rotation from there, uh, 25 years old, has a great um, pitch mix as far as uh, his fastball plays, his breaking ball plays, um, showed some really good numbers last year as he was moving up through the level. So 
I throw Zuleta out there as a name. Is this somebody that you have on your radar? Um, maybe as you know, just just as to stash. Is it somebody that you've seen moved around in some trades, maybe in your leagues? What What are our thoughts on Zuleta? I just lost him in a dynasty uh, league because I didn't protect him because I, the guy is talented as anybody, but that injury history is um, really bad. And so you say he's 25, so it, it's reached the point. You might as well see what you've got, but it's very likely to be a bullpen role this year, at least to start. And frankly, if he doesn't get the walks under control, it might be long-term there. That's the one downside. The talent is there. It's really ace potential if it all comes together. But until it comes together, it's going to be volatile. And Jake, what about you? Is, uh, did, did you did you lose him as well or somebody that maybe you took away? I never had him. I This is the first time I have seen the name. Uh, he's someone that I don't really know a lot about, um, so I can't speak on him a lot uh, besides just what's on the Fangraphs page. So I'll, I'll leave that to... Uh, to Nick, who who seems to have had him for a while, but um, but yeah, that's a good that's a good point out there. I'll have to keep an eye on him. Let me let me ask this question then, um, just to to make sure you know keep you included. When you think about the Blue Jays, uh, so them having made the trade to pick up um, Simeon Woods Richardson, there's been a little bit of hype or post hype hype. I don't know exactly how we want to label that with Nate Pe- uh, Nate Pearson, um, maybe finally showing us the promise that we thought he was going to have two, three, four years ago. Um, we think about Toronto as a, uh, overall from the pitching standpoint, is that a uh, destination? Is that a franchise that uh, kind of ranks high on, hey, they know how to develop guys? Is it somebody that you're uh, – or a franchise that you're like, mm, maybe I'm, I'm kind of fading those guys because they ha- they struggle. Maybe they land somewhere in the middle. So just Toronto as, as a franchise when it comes to pitching prospects and, and development, what's your, what's your feelings there? Yeah, I think it's you know definitely not an organization to avoid. Uh, I don't think I don't I think they're pretty squarely in the middle. They're also not um, someone that you usually think of as like the the pioneers of of getting the most out of their pitchers, like we might think of um, you know the Rays. Um, so I I think they're pretty squarely in the middle. You know they have they have had some bad luck with guys, but you know then they have like some quick risers right now with Ricky Tiedem, and I think is one of like the most hyped prospects in fantasy baseball right now. Um, and you know, what he was able to do making it to double a for, for a quick cup of coffee at the end of last year as a 19 year old. Um, and so I think he's going to probably control a lot of that narrative moving forward, kind of how he pans out. If he takes another step forward or even just maintains what he's been able to do this upcoming season. Um, so I think the, the book's kind of still out on them for me, but I don't see them as anyone to specifically avoid or target. Um, I, and I think in general for organizations, it takes, a good amount one way or another um, for me to, to, to like avoid or target players. I think a lot, most organizations I think sit in the middle um, where it's like, I think the talent kind of dictates a lot of what's happening. Like we had a conversation on the pitcher list discord about the nationals player development and like, seems like it would be great because they pumped out guys like um, Anthony Rendon and Bryce Harper and Juan Soto. But then the question is like, were they just that good? You know, Bryce Harper and Rendon were both top 10 picks, you know? (laughs) So it's, it's really hard to get, to get a gauge. And it takes, I think it takes a long time to build up that reputation. Um, You know, like we've seen the Rays doing it. I think the storyline is that it's out of necessity. Right. So it's like, that's the easy one to go to, but 
Um, but they I still do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guardians is another one. Um, yep. Astros yep. Have, have turned it into another space. So yeah. I, I don't think anyone would have messed up Bryce Harper. Right. So, yeah, you get these generational talents. That doesn't prove the organization is doing great. But I agree with Jake. I, I think of Toronto as a good organization. I don't think of them as anything other than just normal when it comes to player development. They're, they're fine, but nothing really stands out other than, boy, they have a good infield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Um, yeah, they take all the sons, right? All the sons of the right. players and, and the hope that the dad has already done all the work. Yeah. That's their talent, right? Genes. That's, that's the pipeline. That's the, that's the new hack, right? It's DNA. Um, so, yeah, I think I think Zuleta is somebody that's interesting to me uh, from. So, so one thing that I like to do is I like to identify younger, you know, guys that are in that sort of 25 to 27 year age, uh, uh, year old range. Um where, uh, from a pitching standpoint, where they're not necessarily locked into definitely being a starter, um, but they, they have enough stuff that the team is going to kind of play around with them. Um, mostly they're going to end up in the bullpen, and that's how I find a lot of cheap bullpen ads for myself. I never really target the name bullpen guys because normally you got to pay. If you're trading for them, you got to pay way too much, um, which is always, you know, that that's never a good idea. If you're drafting, you got to take them way too high. Uh, you know, in a slide, if you're doing like a redraft than what I like. So I like finding like last year, Alexis Diaz, Felix Bautista, guys that I was able to mm-hmm. stumble upon. Mm-hmm. Cheap, easy ads, did a lot of value for me. And then I could dump them. I traded both of them. Uh, Diaz uh, midseason, I actually probably could have held them a, a little bit longer and gotten more value. And then Bautista this last, uh, this, this past offseason, because it's just, I feel like, they're always going to be those guys. There's always going to be those guys that have one or two pitches. Interesting enough, they don't have a defined role, but if they perform, they'll figure the, the team will figure out a way to slot them in, and it will bring you some added value, especially from the bullpen. I think Zulueta is that type of guy for me. Um, Nick, to your point, I think the ace potential is that's the upside that you might chase. But for me, if I was going after him, I would go after him just to say like, hey, with his fastball and slider, that's good enough that if he can stay healthy which is a fair point right if you can stay healthy that could be enough just to get him some major league innings and that could bring me enough value as is and then anything else uh, could be icing on the cake he would be phenomenal in the pen as a starter in april and may of last year he was striking out 50 percent of the guys he faced 40 percent of the guys he faced and that's when i wrote about him i waited and went back finished the year on him, and it just got horrific. Mm. He still strikes out guys, but in June, he walked 14%. In July and August, he walked 20%. That's the danger. And so be aware, he's got to show better control, or else it won't be, well, it'll make you for an adventurous relief inning. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and definitely, like you said, the, the, the starting potential uh, gets capped, right? Because you, you can't have a guy that has that sort of until he does that yeah, yeah. That, that control yeah. issue so that's yeah. Zulueta we're going to swing to um AL Central I want to talk about a guy from Kansas City Royals um Drew Waters so another sort of post-hype guy right um somebody that three four years ago we thought definitely was going to be the future of the Atlanta Braves outfield along with Kristen Pache both of those guys no longer with the Atlanta Braves organization and they have somebody completely different that um I don't think enough of us paid attention to patrolling their outfield and, and uh, Michael Harris, the second, um, the, the reigning rookie of the year in the NL. 
So Drew Waters gets traded to Kansas City. Obviously, the, the big story with Waters was he was striking out and hitting ground balls like in crazy amounts, not tapping into the power that we thought he was going to be able to get to. Um, but he goes to Kansas City. They're a team, just like Nick was kind of describing, the outfield was sort of meh. Not really a lot of guys that were locked into positions um, across the board, so he was able to, 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 to crack their lineup and put up pretty decent numbers in, in, a, in a small amount of, of plate appearances to, to finish out the year. Now Michael Taylor is gone. Um, the outfield, Ben Attendee is gone. Like the outfield is, is even more open than, than it was before. So he definitely is, is right there in the mix. Is water somebody because he's kind of post hype that again, maybe we want to pursue. He's a little bit cheaper. Um, do we see him being able to finally tap into that, that full sort of star potential that we thought he had with Atlanta? Is he just kind of a bench bat for us? What are, I, I'll just kind of open it up to the, to the floor. Like, what do we think about Drew Waters? I think after the trade, he, um, you know, really made a lot of improvements. His um, walk rate almost doubled in AAA. Um, strikeout rate is still a little high, even when he got to the majors. Um, and so I think that's kind of like the biggest thing that he'll be working on or that could like limit his, um, you know, his his batting average upside, you know. So, um, but yeah, he had a 149 WRC plus in AAA for the Royals uh, and about 150 plate appearances. Um, and then in the majors, he hit the ball pretty hard. He had a 12.3% barrel rate uh, with 57 batted balls, which is just beyond the number that you usually want to um, to see for bail rate to to take some good stock in it. Usually about 50 batted balls is when it becomes meaningful. Um, so it's a great barrel rate, uh, but a really low hard hit rate. So I don't really know how to take that, um, which is interesting. So I think that it's like he showed just enough in – um, to kind of keep him interesting after he was traded and then promoted. Um, and so I think he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. And because of, like you said, the post hype, it could be pretty cheap. Yeah. I think he'll get the at bats this year. I don't think it's going to be like tremendously productive. As you say, the, um, the hard hit contact rate is not that great. So he'll have some power. He'll have some strikeouts. He won't have the best batting average, but, um, He'll give you some home runs. You know, he'll, he's one of those guys that you, know, you sort of fill in the bottom of your outfield roster, and uh, he'll gi- he'll give you something. And I think he'll play. Yeah, I think he'll be someone that you'll kind of like pick up and drop a lot during the season, especially in like yeah. fifteen teamers. We're just like, I need plate appearances, or like I need some homers this week, you know. And I don't right. think he'll really be steady enough to be on one team in you know, like your league for the whole year. I think he'll be someone that kind of like goes back and forth, yeah. um, but he'll be useful for for a few weeks there. Okay. Those low batting average on base guys get streaky, right? And so you get them on a hot streak. You think, "Ooh, I found a, a hot prospect," and then you realize, "Wait a second, what's going on with this streak?" And they put up a, like a two for twenty-five with like two. Yeah. You're like, yeah. "Okay, that's that's." I forgot. I forgot they had that in their game. <laughs> um. So so that's Waters. I, I I don't have much to add. I think that's uh, right on right on point. The the next person that came to mind or. Uh, the other outfielder that came to mind is in the NL, but also in the central. And I was thinking about if given the chance, would I want um, waters or would I want Garrett Mitchell? And I think, I, I think I'll go with Mitchell only because I think Mitchell has the ability to add a few more when it comes to steals. Um, so a little bit more value on, on that end, but they both kind of strike me as guys that we expected a lot out of. They struggled a little bit when it came to the high, um, high levels of minor leagues. 
Uh, but now they both have their chance to to kind of cement themselves into their respective teams' lineups. Uh, but there's still some significant questions about you know where they can Im- improve their game. So Mitchell is kind of the, the other outfielder that jumped in my mind um, next to. That's Borders. a pretty good comparison. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Pretty um, good. So that's the central. We're going to move uh, quickly to the NL West. Pulling up the list again. So NL West. Actually, we were talking about this guy. I don't even. I'm not even going to have to look. We were talking about him. Um, and Nick was giving away good content, so I had to stop him. We were talking about Chase Silseth of the um, Los Angeles Angels. And so Nick had. I'm going to send it right to you because you had some really good thoughts about um, Chase. And I know you had written him up before. Actually, I think we may have covered him in one of your appearances last uh, season. So go ahead and, and talk to us about Silsa. Yeah, say that fast five yeah. times, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, this was a guy I wrote about, and it's like a week later, he gets called up to the majors. And I'm thinking, wait a second, he's in double A. What are you guys doing? He's like the first guy from his draft who made it to the majors. And predictably, he didn't do well in the majors. And so you think, okay, this guy's not good, right? No, he was doing great in double A. And so if he has his normal development, he could become a decent pitcher. And now with the uh, the Angels trying to figure out what their six-man rotation will be, there's opportunity. I would still love to see him develop a little more in the minor leagues. Um, but... Don't give up on this guy just because he didn't do well on the first time. You wouldn't either if you were suddenly put onto the mound and said pitch. Yeah, I think um, I've seen Silseth's name uh, float up in, in a lot of different servers that I'm in. It seems like uh, there's, he has a, a contingent of fans that, that really believe in him from a dynasty standpoint and from a fantasy baseball standpoint. Um, and it's, it's funny because I always like to see these parallels. Um, or I, I find it interesting when I see certain parallels in sports and in baseball and you talking about Silseth made me think Reed Detmers, right? Left lefty versus righty, but same situation gets drafted by the Angels sure. because the Angels never have pitching. They immediately rush him through and he gets showed and it's like, Oh, well what they, they ruined him. What, what did they do to this guy? And it's just now his development path, Detmers development path is now, um, a, a lot is shaped a lot differently than what we expected and what we traditionally see. And it seems like Silseth, for better or worse, is going through something similar where um, there's not going to be a lot of double uh, A. Hey, make sure let's let's make sure he's good. Give him a little bit of time in triple A, and then let's ease him in. It's like no, you're getting just full live fire now. You're you're part of the MLB team, um, and I think both of them are going to be vying somewhere in that rotation. Um, I think Detmer's place is probably a little bit more cemented than Silseth, but yes. both of them quite yeah. young. Like you said, uh, still very young when it, when you talk about it, experience as a pro. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all live fire, which there's good and bad there, right? The, the bad is obviously going to be, there's going to be a lot of bumps and bruises. If you're riding with them, you're going to have some ugly numbers that are going to show up. Um, I have Detmer's on my team. I had to go through some some ugly walks some short appearances, but then you get you get some goodness from them as well. And the nice thing is, uh, Nick, you've pointed this out before. I've had some other guests point this out before. That pitching development piece uh, takes time, right? It takes time for them to formulate everything that they need, not just from a mechanic standpoint, not just from a stuff standpoint, but from a game plan, like understanding how to get major league hitters out, 
on a consistent basis. Takes time. Yeah, and I'll tell you why it's so important in particular for Silfes. Phil Steph. He has a fastball that has good velocity, but it lacks movement. So he's going to have to take a secondary approach to get his secondaries up. He's got good slider, got a good splitter. Get, he has his curve. He's going to have to develop those because he's not just going to come up and blow guys away. This is not going to be your ace. This is going to be just a rotation arm who's going to have to use the secondary pitches, and that's the part that you want to see develop. And he came up, his fastball is not something that's going to impress the major leaguers and the predictable results. But when he gets those secondaries going, I think he can be a useful arm. Yeah. Um. So that's Silseth. Jake, anything that you want to add on, on Silseth or, or the Angels? pitching development or lack thereof. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think you guys covered it uh, pretty well with him. I, I still crazy that he was in double A, uh, you know, through about 80 innings there. And then they said, all right, like, good luck. We need some pitching. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's everything with him right now is a grain of, is really with a grain of salt uh, until he gets, um, you know, more opportunities, more time with the big league coaches. He has a full off season now um, with them. And he, I think knows more of like his role and what's expected of him. Um, and so I think that this offseason will do good for him. And we'll um, give him some leeway, leeway and see what he does this spring and how he adapts, you know, after his first uh, cup of coffee there. Yeah, the angel said, um, we can't pitch Otani every day. So somebody has to take the ball. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't. We can't do that. If we could. They, they Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving around. So that, that takes care of uh, American League. We're going to quickly go through the NL. Um, NL East, uh, at least the, the names that they have on this list, some of them are super obvious. They have Andrew Painter, I think. <laughs> you know, again, like Grayson Rodriguez, it's just like, yeah, okay. I think with Painter, it's a little different just because of the age. But when you look at what he's done now, that's kind of uh, – maybe maybe we'll stay on Painter, actually, as as our NL East person, just because, for me, right. I think it's fascinating. Um, it's almost the opposite of what we just talked about with Silsa, right? Very young, uh, a very limited amount of time. Uh, when it comes to being a pro, but when you look at what he's done, it's almost like he is making the case. He is almost kind of forcing their hand a bit. We've heard some talk coming out of camp that he's in the mix or that they're not, you know, uh, uh, Dombrowski made it seem like they're not, you know, shy about the possibility of uh, him starting the year in the big leagues, which I think would be incredible considering he's like just turned 20. I think he essentially was a teenager all last year. Um, He turns 20 on April 10th. There we go. So, like, literally could be starting the year as a 20-year-old um, with the defending NL champions. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's somebody that has really gone from, you know, he was highly uh, highly ranked and, and had a great pedigree when he was drafted. But I think when you look at the sort of prospect class that he's in, he's definitely pushed his way up to being in that conversation of, of being the top guy. Grayson's still there, obviously. Yuri Perez is still there. Um, I think Espino was around until he started having this this mystery shoulder injury that we don't know more about. But I think Painter's right in that mix, right? Like, I, I think if you drafted Painter as your top pitching prospect, nobody would bat an eye. Um, so from a let, let me spin this from a redraft standpoint, Jake. I'm going to ask you from a redraft standpoint, how are you approaching Andrew Painter, considering that he seems like he's going to be with the Phillies much sooner than later? 
Yeah, I think it really depends on the league um, and kind of like what your what your options are. Um, I'm trying to bring up his ADP real quick, um, but but now he 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 goes obviously much later than Grayson. He's been creeping up a little bit. Uh, real quick, let me see here. I got to go to like DCs since that has like a 800 pick pool and quick search. Andrew, of course, there's a lot of Andrews. <laughs> and you're saying that, uh, you know, which guys are ahead of them among pitching prospects. And I, I think of it as who would I, if I had Andrew Painter, who would I take in his place? And I probably would do Grayson Rodriguez. And I don't think there's anybody else. I, I think this is the guy you want in, in Dynasty. But the question for Jake was about redraft. So, yeah. So I just found the ADP. It's uh, so in draft champions leagues, which is a fifty-round, fifteen-team draft and hold on the NFBC. Uh, he has a three sixty-four ADP, which is round twenty-four. Um, so in those leagues, it's the first round after your starters, after your starting roster. Um, that's a little high for me, especially since the NFBC, um, you just get like your bench and you can't, you have to stash them on your bench, you know? So it's, he's taking away, if he doesn't start with the team, he's taking away innings. Um, I think, um, in draft and holds, I'm more likely to, to do that because like you also have, um, you can't pick them up in the season, you know? Um, and then, but in, in redraft leagues with like, you know, fab and only like a, um, 30 man roster, um, I, it, honestly, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough because like, where's I really want him to make, what does your gut say? <laughs> my gut says to lay off. Okay. Um, and because I think it's going to be so tough for him to make that rotation out of camp. Um, and I think that if he doesn't make the rotation out of camp, whoever has him is going to drop him, and then he's available again. Um, and because he's, you know, he's going to start the year at 19, uh, quickly turn 20, um, we haven't seen a lot of 20-year-old successful pitchers in baseball recently, um, no matter how good they are. And, you know, the, the Phillies have a solid top five. I think their fifth is um, Bailey Falter right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bailey Falter. And, you know, he was good for them down the stretch. And, um, you know, I think he's a, he's a really solid arm. Um, and I think it's going to be tough for him to break that out of camp. Um, he might be the first one up if, you know, they need – if they need some innings, if someone gets injured, um, we still have a pretty long way to go to opening day, so you never know um, who might fall off. But um, my gut right now is telling me to lay off of him out of camp and then be ready to pounce um, when he does come up because um, he could really – I mean, he's, he could be with Grayson as far as like putting up some some elite innings in a small sample. Um, right. But, yeah, my, my gut's telling me to wait wait for the chaos to kind of die down and then – back on him when he's ready later okay. this summer okay and nick you were talking about from a dynasty standpoint he's he's pretty much your your 1b next to yeah. grayson so talk more yeah. about that when prospect writers get excited it's because of guys like painter it's like what is it that makes an ace you have to have two or more plus pitches and you have to have plus command that's painter he has the stuff and he can put it where he wants to put it as a 19-year-old. So when you've got that figured out at that age, that's the guy to grab. Now, I think Jake is completely right about redraft. Um, that's This is a classic trap situation. If he doesn't get the job out of spring training, it's just going to be a wasted 
space and you don't want that. But in Dynasty, sell your firstborn. There you Absolutely. Go. There you go. You heard it. You heard it here first. Sell your firstborn. <laughs> get, get what you can. No, I think is I I I think from the dynasty standpoint. Um, again, I think he's done so much in such a short amount of time to push his way up that you have to obviously take notice. Um, and when do you think about the Phillies? I know we, we were just talking about with Toronto. Like, how do you think about the the organization as far as development and things of that nature and the Phillies are also kind of that middle of the pack. They, they've had some guys that didn't really happen for them. Um, but I don't think enough of, you know, quote unquote failures to say, oh, they can't uh, develop the, these guys. And Painter could be in that sort of in, inevitable position that we were just talking about with the, the Bryce Harpers and the Rendons of the world, where it's just kind of like, you kind of have to work hard to mess them up. Like you kind of have to do some things to, to really screw them up. I think, if I'm or, or injury, right? Obviously, right. Uh, injury yeah. always always looms. I think for me, if, if from a dynasty standpoint, if you have him, obviously you hold him. If you're you're pursuing him, I think you have to be really creative in what you're bringing to the table. Because um, to your point, Nick, if if I have Andrew Painter, and let's say I am, um, let's say I'm rebuilding, and I was able to to get Painter as part of my rebuild effort. I to give that guy up, the type of players I'm not going to name particular names, but just the type of players that I would need back, the price would be so high. Like you have to be so creative or just so rich with yeah. talent to go after yeah. a painter. You don't. You do not. Don't give him up. There if you go. give him up, you can't be my friend. There. Well, there you go. Well, I don't have him, so you don't have to worry. We can still be. <laughs> I don't have him anywhere. Um. But yeah, I, I just think he's one of those guys that you just uh you just put a pin in him. And um, you're just happy to, to have him on, on the roster. Um, from a redraft standpoint, Jake, I think you're you're really nailing it. I I might be a little bit more aggressive than it sounds like you are in grabbing him. And I think the only reason is um, I think that, that – why? I think that between what he's done – as well as where the Phillies kind of are as a team, I think they have some some buffer, for lack of a better word, for him. It's it's kind of hard to describe. It's, it's not really a, a tangible thing that I can 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 point to and articulate. But I just think that they have a framework where they can put him in, whether it be from, um, you know, just just some mop up innings, like you said, somebody got hurt to start, or they need to just kind of patch some innings through. Um, I think that they're just going to be smart enough for how much they expose him. And I want to be there for that exposure. I almost kind of think, and, and I don't want to throw this name out because this person got hurt like immediately after they pitched. Um, and obviously we don't want that to happen to anybody, but I kind of think about Max Meyer and like his come up with the Marlins. And it's just kind of that, like the, the stuff is just so like, it's just so, so it's, right it's there. Yeah. It's just so right yeah. there. Obviously with Meyer, um, we're hoping for, for a healthy return back because he got injured right after his debut. But Painter kind of strikes me in that same way. It's just, it's so electric. It's so right there. I want a part of it. If I'm in a redraft, I might get a little bit more aggressive than Jake. But overall, I think the point is is well made, right? Like you do want to be aware that you don't want to have a lot of dead spots. And when you're talking about some of these other um, larger leagues, like you were talking about with, with these um, draft champs leagues, like, yeah, you need to optimize all spots that you have. So you do have to be cognizant of, unless you know for a fact, like unless we get it 
cemented in stone early, that's one place where I could see maybe I'll let painter pass. But anywhere else, yeah. any other sort of like traditional redress, yeah, I'm probably going to be a little bit more bullish on it. Yeah. One more real quick about his market. So I was looking at a different format on the NFBC. Um, and again, sorry to use the high stakes leagues here, but the, these are the ones that have the most significant ADP data right now. Um, so in the Rotowire Online Championship Leagues, which are 12 team leagues, um, but they are only, uh, I think, 30 rounds, 360 players are drafted, and then they have fab. They have pickups in season, right? Uh, it's not a draft and hold. He's going at 260 overall, which in a 12-team league is the 21st round. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So on the starting roster, off the bat, that is very aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in that one, in a situation like that, I think I'm absolutely just waiting for him to be dropped. Um, if he makes it, then, you know, Oh well, uh, I missed out on it, but I think I'm, if I'm going to bet on it, I think I would bet on him being dropped by a manager who took him too high in a draft and then pounce on it later. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely getting a lot of hype right now, and I think people are willing to stash him. Um, and then it's a case where you know Lamar, you said like if you're going to be more aggressive, um, I think that's like a good way to look at it. Is like let's say you have um, you know eight fantasy baseball teams, have them on one or two. You know, like I want the exposure. I want to root for him, but I don't want to invest in him and like make him one of my guys. You know, he's not going to be on four or five. But, you know, if you have a few teams, you sprinkle them in, you know, like this is the league I'm going to take them. This is maybe a low stakes league. This is a like my home league, you know. Um, but yeah, I think that um, right now the league, the market's getting really aggressive on him and I love to see it, but um, I'll bet against it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, this is on the farm podcast, but there are some leagues where we have to be honest. This is really not what you want to spend your your draft capital on. That's true. We're, we're giving it to you straight. We're telling you where it works and where it doesn't. There you go. Um, Jake, the market mover, Mache. He's moving markets. <laughs> Looking at all the numbers. Um, we're going to go NL Central. I, I'm going to pick super obvious name just because I, I'm I'm a fan of this guy. I can't wait to see him at the major league level. That's Jordan Walker. Uh, from St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Cardinals. I just, I, I want to see him mash. I want to see him at the big league level. Um, I know people hate the Cardinals. I personally, I'm neutral towards the Cardinals, but I know a lot of people like hate the Cardinals and like Cardinals devil magic and all that sort of stuff. I don't care. I want to see this guy hit. Um, I want to see him at third. I want to see him in outfield. I want to see him throw guys out. Like he's just, he's one of those players that I just want to see um, at the highest level compete. Um I know there's not a whole lot to, to add as far as skill set and, and what we look for, but I just wanted to throw his name out there. Um, I guess the, the one to form this in a question, what do you guys think uh, as far as his maybe kind of foreseeing maybe uh, his final position or where the Cardinals will, will sort of work him into the lineup uh, position-wise? Because obviously we know he came up as a third baseman. They have a pretty good third baseman already in St. Louis. Um, so they they start to work him into the outfield, both left field as well as center. And we do know that in St. Louis, the outfield is, again, to make a brought this up before, outfield is a little bit in flux. They've made some trades. There's potential for more trades to come. So there's, uh, you know, some, some cracks in the outfield that Walker might be able to patch. Um, do you guys see him as a – are you kind of grading him as an outfielder? Are you grading him as a multi-position guy? Are you just grading him off the strength of his bat? What's kind of your look at Jordan Walker? Yeah, I think this year he'll have the third base eligibility because that's where he played in the minors, you know, in in your leagues. But um, he'll pro- he'll 
probably play almost all of his games in the outfield. Um, there's a really good shot that he won't have third base eligibility next season, um, depending on what your eligibility requirements are in your league. Um, and so, you know, looking at the Cardinals outfield, I think it, a lot of it will end up depending on like what the Cardinals will prioritize. Like maybe is it defense or is it like upside or is it offense? you know? Um, Cause the Cardinals historically have been very stout on defense. They sent down Nolan Gorman last year because he couldn't play second base. Um, he also had never played second base much in the minors, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, and so, um, you know, looking at, they have Dylan Carlson in center field who they are just uh, heck bent on letting him do his thing and, and hoping that it, he works itself out, you know? Um, and then Tyler O'Neill slated for left and, you know, Tyler O'Neill could be someone who moves to center if they want to make, you know, um, a spot open for Walker, but that kind of takes a hit on their defense having, uh, O'Neill in center and, and Walker in left. Um, right now their DH spot is slotted for like Juan Yapez, maybe Alec Burleson. Um, Nolan Gorman's there, but he has a lot to prove defensively and and also keeping the strikeouts down. So I think there's a small opening right now, and Walker is one of the people who could just force his way in. Um, I have been on, I think this podcast, I was on a um, uh, PitchCon panel talking about how I think Miguel Vargas is going to get more playing time this year. Um, there's more opportunities for him, but Walker is the one who could be like, I don't care about your roster i'm just gonna hit my way on um and force himself to to earn the playing time so that's definitely a possibility but um the cardinals have a deep offense and he'll you know i think if there's anyone that could do it it's him his exit velocities are insane he doesn't have to sell out for the power um he probably won't carry a huge strikeout rate you know so it's exciting um but i i just i keep going back and forth on what he'll actually how quickly he'll be able to impact yeah when you're a top five guy not top 10, top five, you're going to make your own way through. And I, I think you're right, Jake. This is the last year in all likelihood that he'll have third base eligibility. And by next year at this time, it's going to be obvious that Walker's going to be one of their starting outfielders. Yeah, we forgot to mention uh, Newt Bar. Got to talk about Newt Bar as being in the, yep. in the mix uh, as well. He slotted as a right fielder right, right now. Right, right, um, so. And, like, they're going to give him a shot. He yeah. earned it. He yeah. absolutely earned it last year. Yeah, big fan of Newt Bar. I love uh, Walker also because um, he looks like he's, like, 35 years old, even though he's, like, 20. He's, like, Greg Oden. He just has, like, an old-looking face, which I think is, is fun. Um, anyways, that's neither here nor there. You mentioned a uh, name of a guy from the NL West um, that I actually was was going to go to, and that's Miguel Vargas. So let's talk about him for the Dodgers. Um, multi-positional type guy came up as a third baseman, got some time in outfield, played first, I believe, when he made his actual major league debut last year. Uh, I've seen Vargas being um, uh, kind of splitting the crowd as far as some people are very low on him because they don't see much upside. Some people are like, "No, this guy, he just flat out flat out hits. I want him on my team." So where where do we stand on Miguel Vargas? Are, are we buying into, hey, Dodgers development plus, you know, what he's already been able to do, I'm buying all the shares? Or are we thinking because he's maybe going to be more first base than third base um, and, and the depth of, you know, what needs to happen at first base from a hitting standpoint, are we thinking – high floor but low ceiling and maybe I can wait or or even fade on on having Vargas how about instead of floor ceiling say the bat tool is great the defense is not 
And so the question for him is not, will he hit? He's going to hit. The question is, where is he going to play? Which could work in his favor, right? He could cover either corner. He could play in the outfield. He can do DH, obviously. Um, that's going to be the interesting thing is where he plays. But um, I think he'll play, and I think he'll be good. Yeah, they're looking at uh, – it looks like they're uh, – I think the – uh, I think Dave Roberts said that Max Muncy feels better at third base than second base right now. And so I, um, he's listed on a uh, roster resource right now as being their second baseman. Um, so and I think that's interesting because like for someone who kind of struggles defensively with this year of second base being so important with the shift and covering more balls and having better range, like uh, obviously he's, I, he's, I assume he's better than Max Muncy um, as far as range goes, but um, it's still, I think, going to test him really quickly if they want to go to him at second base. You know, they also have Chris Taylor who could play second base. Uh, they they have Miguel Rojas, um, who they acquired, who is like a defensive um, standout. You know, he could play short. Lux can play second. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of different places he could play, um, which I think works in his favor. But it's just which one's going to stick and where's the opportunity going to be. But yeah, like Nick said, he's going to hit. Now, do we do we like him? When talking about that hit tool specifically, do we like him um, specifically because he's going to be high batting average, high OBP guy? How much are we buying into how much power he's going to bring? Especially, again, thinking about if he does end up more um, at the corners and especially at first base, we know that that's always a high bar to to crack when it comes to being able to hit your way into uh, being a, a top tier or even close to a top tier. Um, MLB first baseman. So is it more so like, hey, he's going to, if I'm in a batting average league, I want to go after him. If I'm in an OBP, I feel comfortable. Or is it also, hey, this guy has 20 plus home run um, potential as well? I think more 10 10 than 20 20 um, this year, but with a decent batting average and decent on base, um, he's got a good hit tool. So I don't think he's going to be one of those low average guys. And the power is coming, so be patient. Even if he doesn't come out of the gate and just hit 20, I think he can hit 10 for sure this year. And like I said, 10 stolen bases as well. Yeah, in the, in the majors last year, he his plate approach kind of took a hit. Um, but with the small sample and with his track record in the minors, I'm not really concerned about that. He never posted a strikeout rate above. 18.6 percent uh in um you know anywhere where he had at least 100 plate appearances so um i think he is yeah like a really good hit tool guy he also took a lot of walks in triple a last year he i guess worked on that because that was his career high in walk rate um so yeah i think 10 10 this year with the playing time you can get is definitely um reasonable and uh and yeah i think i i agree with nick there that's he's going to be really um, you know, really interesting with the bat. He's going to hit and he's got a good, good approach. So just to, to wrap up on Vargas, uh, in the MOB.com article, they mention um, Michael Bush as well. And so if we had, and, and Michael Bush is very similar as far as uh, multi-position, we, and we know the Dodgers uh, amongst many teams, they, they prioritize being guys being able to play more than one position anyway. So it's not really surprising, but um, with Bush, uh, his hit tool not necessarily as stable as um, Vargas, but I think the power is a little bit, you know, m- more optimal when it comes to Bush. 
I'll, I'll put you in a, you know, would you rather, who, who would you rather have if you got to pick one, uh, dodge a prospect, would you rather have Bush and maybe the power upside, or would you have, rather have Vargas and take that really high floor when it comes to um, the, the hit tool or, or the ability um, that he has as the hit tool, like Nick said? If I could be really specific about if I had to really narrow it down to just one thing, for me, it comes down to strikeouts, whether it's pitchers getting more or batters having fewer. And I go for the guys with the hit tools, um, and I figure the power will come. Whereas the, the guys with power and you know strike out a lot and have low batting averages, it can be really ugly at times. I, I would go with Vargas. Yeah, Jake, you're not in yep. yeah. agreement. Agreed there. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, with that said, I appreciate you, you guys uh, working with my uh, my late audible there. We're going to take a break, pay bills, and then we're going to come back with our proper list. Um, we're going to start with our non-roster invitees, talk about those players, um, guys that are, are a little bit on the younger side, uh, but are going to be in camp and, and could make a, a pretty good impression. So uh, we'll take the break and then we'll come back after the jump. Fads come and go. And nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. And we're back. So, again, we're going to start with our non-roster invitees. Uh, again, a little bit less pro experience overall for these guys that we're going to talk about. Um, but the nice thing about them being in camp is they are going to get that um, experience with major leaguers, they're going to get the coaching, um, the, the, the working out, all of that, and then the actual experience, right? The actual plate appearances, the innings pitched against major league talent. So you love to see that. 
first guy I have up, I've, I've been hearing and, and seeing more people talk about this from the Atlanta Braves. It's A.J. Smith Shaver. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, 20 years old. He was drafted in 2021 um, out of high school in Texas. Um, and the the noise that I'm hearing about Smith Shaver is 70 grade. I'm seeing it consistently 70 grade fastball, highly graded. Uh, that one differentiates a little bit more with his slider, but two elite pitches that he has. Um, maybe not the control yet, maybe not that third pitch yet, but we've seen a guy in Atlanta with a really high grade fastball and a really good slider have some success at a young age. Um, obviously, that being Spencer Strider. So, is there a chance that Smith Shaver gets to replicate that? Does he need a third pitch? Um, what are we kind of looking for him to show? with his um, innings pitched in Atlanta Braves camp. He's a little further away than the others. As you say, he was a two-sport star, and so he's only got 77 pitches in his minor league career, and he hasn't even reached double-A yet. So, no, this is not likely to be a guy who's going to break camp. I hope not. But the skills are – the feeling is just way up there. This guy, as you say – He's got this great mid-90s fastball with 20 inches of vertical break, um, slider, curve, and he was athletic. He was a football star, too. So this is the guy they think will take to the coaching and develop the pitches. And let's say he gets to double-A this year. I think he's going to be on everybody's radar. I think it's just a little early for him just because he simply hasn't had the reps. Yeah, looking at his uh, looking at his numbers, uh, just to, to finish up with the profile, 68 uh, and two-thirds innings pitch at low A Augusta uh, last year, 103 strikeouts. Um, did have the high ERA, 5.11 ERA, 1.35 whip. So, again, that command control piece still being worked on um, at the low levels. But K rate, 34.4%, uh, walk rate, 13%. So, uh again, uh, from what I've been reading, and I think the last thing I read was from Baseball America, but definitely talking about um, the Braves pitching development, pushing guys into throwing their best pitches, which sounds super obvious, but doesn't always happen. Um, and so for for Smith Shaver, those two um, best pitches, that fastball, that slider, pushing him into throwing those more often because they're going to get the best results um, and then working through whatever, you know, third offering, if it's the curve or, or anything else, um, instead of, you know, having guys learn a, a plethora of different pitches and some of those being on a m- more mediocre side, like, you know, throw what you, you dance right, with, right. with and, and throw the best pitch um, that you have there. So I'm curious to see with Michelle um less so in, in camp, actually, but more so post-camp, where he gets placed, do they um, have him quickly run through low A before they give him boost today, immediately place him in high A. And just seeing, again, how many levels does this guy get through in, in a season? Uh, you know, Strider, obviously, is his, is his own unique case, but we're seeing more and more, uh, and especially when we talk about Atlanta Braves just overall, they don't hesitate if you're producing to move you up bit by bit. We saw it not just with Strider, but with, um, obviously, Michael Harris the second, and, of course, with Vaughn Grissom. So they have no problem with taking their young guys that are at the top of um, – are giving them top performances and move them through. And if you're continuing to produce, 
they'll continue to move you until you get all the way to the big league level. So that's my curiosity with Smith Shaver is where does he get placed um, to start his his minor league season this year, and then how aggressive are they? Um, you know how how well does he perform throughout? Uh, we're gonna move to Detroit. We're gonna talk about uh, another guy that I'm seeing a lot of fans of uh, online, and that's Colt Keith, uh, 21 years old. Uh, for the Tigers, he is their third baseman um, or a third base prospect, I should say. He was drafted in 2020 out of um, high school as well, out of Mississippi. So last year he had uh, 216 plate appearances um, at the high A level, put up a really healthy slash line, 301, 370, 544, um, and, and kind of sprinkled in a, a little bit of everything, nine home runs, 31 RBIs, four stolen bases, has really good plate discipline numbers. 12% swing and strike, 19.4 K rate, 10.2% walk rate. So kind of like that nice package that you like to see as far as his approach. Um, I've seen, like I said, a lot of people excited. I know um, Trevor Huth again and, and, and the guys at Bless You Boys tend to be a big fan of Colt Keith. Uh, I've seen him show pretty highly on some prospect live stuff and just in general, some different servers. So what is our stance with, Keith, and again, with him already being 21, having that loss season from 2020, already touching high A, this might be a guy that Detroit gets a little bit more aggressive with, especially knowing that they don't really have much at third base right now. Um, so from a dynasty standpoint, Jake, Colt Keith, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it was, uh, um, you know, he, he started the year really well last year at high A for Detroit. Um, and then had that shoulder injury. He missed the last, I think, like half of the season. Um, but it was really good to see him come back and play in the AFL mm-hmm. and the Arizona Fall League. And, you know, he put up great numbers in the Arizona Fall League, uh, slashed 344, 463, 541, and had a 16 to 16 walk to strikeout ratio there. So, um, you know, that he was able to come back from that. Shoulder, shoulder injuries are tough. I mean, it has really derailed some guys. Um, I think Cody Bellinger is like the the primary one that comes up for me. Um, and coming back from that, going to the AFL, which is um, like a really prime spot for for hitting prospects to uh, get work in, um, especially since he had only been at high A um, up until that point. So for him to go to the AFL to succeed, to play really well, um, I think he's someone that could absolutely show it, shoot up next year and you know, this time, this time next year, we're talking about spring training for the Tigers. He could be competing. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm really excited to watch him uh, play this year more in the minors after his show at the AFL. Um, he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. Completely agree. Um, this is the guy who we've talked about good bat control. He always draws his walks. He doesn't strike out much other than the uh, first time he saw high A in 2021. He repeats in 2022 and the strikeout just goes way down continues to take the walk and now the power shows up and as you say he shows up at the afl he does well i think this is the year people realize hey this guy's a pretty good prospect and the next year i think we're looking at him perhaps working his way onto the team and so with that we're going to take another quick break we're going to come back we're going to talk about our group of prospects that uh, we anticipate making the majors and actually breaking camp and really kind of dig into um, how we feel about them from a dynasty as well as a redraft standpoint where we might be um, taking and drafting some guys. So again, stay with us 
after the jump. Okay, and we're back. So again, we're going to turn our attention to players on the 40-man roster. So again, if you're new to Dynasty, if you're wondering why we're emphasizing non-roster versus 40-man, guys on the 40-man roster already have the inside track on breaking camp. Uh, the teams don't have to make a spot for them to get them on the active 26-man uh, roster. So any sort of injury, trades, anything like that, um, guys on the 40-man, a prospect on the 40-man can immediately get that that promotion, whereas the non-roster guys don't have that uh, that uh, that proximity. So that's why we're kind of you know breaking up these these two groups. And the first guy I want to talk about already made his major league debut, so I definitely anticipate that he sticks with the team this year, but he's somebody that I'm actually very interested in. I haven't been able to get him anywhere. Um, so I think other people are just as interested, but that's uh, Hayden Wesneski. Um, Wesneski, 25 years old, was drafted in 2019 out of Sam Houston State. He actually was a Yankees prospect, got traded to the Cubs for Scott Efros last year and um, put up really good um, numbers. Once he got to the major league level, 33 innings pitched, 33 Ks, Super uh, low whip, 0.94 uh, whip, 2.18 ERA. Strikeouts are kind of average, uh, 25% K rate, but the walk rate is very low, 5.3%. So he's a guy that is um, going to you know be able to, to be in and around the strike zone consistently. Uh, and so now he's going to be part of this sort of next great Cubs uh, rebuild, if you will, as part of their roster. And we know Cubs are another team that kind of struggles with pitching and it seems like what they've done is if we can't develop our own guys we're going to just kind of cherry pick from other teams so they get Wesneski um they get another guy that I'm interested in who's Ben Brown from the Phillies uh that's probably going to be another conversation for another podcast but I'm super interested in seeing Ben Brown but they're kind of just cherry picking guys at at a high level from some other teams to assemble their next sort of uh young pitching staff so with Wesneski, Jake, I'm going to turn to you first because I, I see you have some notes here uh, about pitching. Plus, what are our thoughts about um, Hayden Wesneski? Oh, I I love Hayden Wesneski. He's probably my favorite, like, you know, kind of deep-ish league sleeper, you know. Um, I've drafted him a lot this offseason. I did an offseason dynasty startup that I made sure to get him in. I did three gladiators on the NFBC. I think I got him in two, which is a pretty big uh um, I think vote of confidence for him because that one, uh, there is no pickups and you only have the starting roster. There's no bench either. So I think he's going to get some innings. I think that um, Kyle Hendricks injury kind of opens up a spot for him to make the team out of camp. His biggest competitor there, I think is Keegan Thompson. Um, but, you know, when looking, like you said, you know, here at the, at the pitching models, so there's there's like I think now there's two primary pitching models that I love to go to. Uh, you have Eno Cirrus's pitching plus model, and then pitcher lists PLV, which we just introduced with PL eight. Um, so yeah, starting with the pitching plus model, um, you know Eno has said that this stabilizes at about 400 pitches. It's one of the best things that you can look at for sh- small sample sizes. Uh, period. Full stop. Um, and he had 495 pitches last year in the majors. Uh, he had a stuff plus of 99.8, location plus of 106.8, and then pitching plus of 105.3. The major league average there is 100. Um, and that stuff plus number is absolutely dragged down by his fastball. His fastball stuff plus has a 81.3, which is really bad. I think he threw it too much last year, um, especially because he has a cutter that is elite by pretty much all metrics here. Um, 
but yeah, so uh, his locations are really impressive. I think that's what's really like, because as the stuff gets better, he has the foundation of his locations. He locates the ball fantastic. He has five pitches, and only one of them has a below average location plus, and that's the changeup, which he throws the least. So all of his primary offerings, he could put them wherever he wants. Um, the slider has a 112.5 location plus, which is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, when you talk about a slider where location is king, for him to be able to be that good at it and have it be, have a really good shape, um, that's absolutely dangerous. And so we're looking at the strikeouts now, and it's not anything that blows your head off, but like he is, you know, has the stuff to really explode there i think um you know he could be really good um with strikeouts even though we haven't really seen it yet um and then with plv he has a overall plv of 5.09 which is on a zero to ten scale um but that 5.09 is the 87th percentile in baseball and so plv um you know very similar to pitching plus looks at the um you know the shapes of the pitches the locations of the pitches all on an individual level so it looks at every single pitch and is like was this a good pitch was this a bad pitch where was it located what did it look like what was the velocity um and so he's fantastic he's fantastic in these models um his pla which is takes plv and puts it on an era scale uh was 3.4 which is in the 91st percentile in baseball so you know, we have a very small sample here, but the models that we have that like small samples that do well in small samples absolutely love him. And his command is fantastic. And, you know, so I think if he optimizes his pitch mix a little bit more, he could absolutely take off. You know, like I said, his fastball is really bad, like really, really bad. Um, it doesn't have any vertical um, rise to it. It just, it drops. It's one of the worst, like one of the most dropping i guess it drops the most i don't know how to say that um but it's easiest for hitters to hit the fastballs that don't rise are the easiest for hitters to hit and his does not rise at all um and his sinker is all right but his cutter his cutter i think is the pitch that could really take off especially pairing that with the slider i think that's going to tunnel so well with the slider and if he could you know bump up that usage a little bit more um let me look at the usage here he his four seamer was 26 percent Singer 23 and cutter 11. If you could replace one of those first two with the cutter and then pair it with that slider at 28%, the hitter's not going to know what's coming. And those are his two best pitchers, the cutter and the slider. So I think if he upticks the usage there, mixes in, you know, the sinker, maybe when he needs a ground ball, um, you know, I think if he does some optimization, I mean, he's going to, I think he's going to absolutely soar. So he's one of my favorites. I can gush about him all day. Um, but yeah, I think I'm looking for him to win that competition out of camp and uh, put up some solid innings this year. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a masterclass in pitcher analysis. Hey, that's exactly thank you, thank right. You. I'm not, I'm not touching it. That's, that's, that's it right there. I use, you know, stuff. I use pitcher list. Terrific stuff. I, I agree completely. Um, well, first and foremost, coming from Nick, that's a huge compliment. So great job, Jake. Um, I don't have much to add. Definitely. I, the, I guess the only thing that I will say is thinking about strikeouts. I'm actually okay looking at that 25% K rate. Let's say it kind of stabilizes somewhere around that. I'm okay with that because that walk rate being so low and, and what you're talking about with his location being um, so above average. I like having some guys like that, right? You, you may not want to have your entire um, staff, right? Your, your starters be all um, kind of mid-level strikeout guys because uh, depending on your league, if you're looking at points, if you're looking at 
um, head-to-head categories, you're going to need somebody to kind of lead the way. But having a handful of guys in that you know can get through, get you your quality start, get you your win possibly if you're still using that as a stat, and then not going to give up a lot of home runs, can locate so you're not getting killed with any sort of walk ratios or walk penalties, um, and then sprinkle in a, a decent amount of strikeouts. I like guys like that, especially when they're young guys, because um, it's only going to – the worst-case scenario is that it stabilizes there. The best-case scenario is that they unlock something else and it do hit that next level, right? So if it is a pitch mix thing, like you're saying, Jake, that could unlock it for them. Um, if it is just adding another pitch in, so – um, you know, maybe if he's abandoning the fastball completely and then sprinkles in something else to replace that, that could unlock it for him. So, I, again, it I sounds like we're all three consensus uh, really on uh, Hayden Wesneski. Again, I haven't been able to grab him anywhere, but if I do, I'll be very happy. Um, moving on, we're going to go back to Toronto. This is uh, Addison Barger, uh who has been really rising up. And I think the the proximity thing is really boosting his value. When you look at uh, that middle infield that we talked about in Toronto, the one sort of spot, the one little hole that they still kind of have is at second base. Um, so Addison is 23 years old, drafted in 2018, um, came out of high school uh, again, uh, out of Florida. And so he, again, high riser, combined plate appearances, 526 combined, Plate appearances between high A, double A, and triple A. So a guy that moved quickly through the Toronto um, farm system last year, robust uh, stat line, 308, 378, 555 is the triple slash, 26 home runs, 91 RBIs, nine stolen bases. Again, that's combined amongst all three levels. So, I mean, he pretty much put up like a pro season stats. <laughs> um, he, it's very impressive. He put up Babe Ruth stats. <laughs> It was incredible. Uh, Barger is a hilarious guy to me because I've been tracking him for a while. And some of the sites said at the start of 2019, he was going to be a bench piece who lacked power. He immediately then goes out and shows power. Um, Some places weren't even listing him at the start of 2022. And then he just goes out and just blows the leagues away. He's you, you track him month by month last year. His on base was going up by leaps and bounds. His power was growing. His walks were growing. He goes up to triple A and short sample, but he continues to do well. It has to end, right? No one comes up and is Babe Ruth at the start. Not even Babe Ruth was Babe Ruth at the start, but that's the kind of numbers he was putting up in the minor league. And so when you do that, even if you're not one of the guys that are thought of as, you know, the scouts darlings, if you do put up the numbers, you're going to be noticed. And I think he's been noticed. And I think he's got an opportunity to now say, all right, let's see how this plays in the majors. Yeah. I think um, I was talking to, I think actually may have been um, Chris Clegg earlier um, this year. So maybe back in, in January um, about bargain. I was saying the one thing that kind of holds me back and it may just be an aesthetic thing um, is the whole leg kick kick piece and, and, and that mechanical part. And I know some people have been uh, very low on him because that like that, that leg kick has to go. It, it can't play at the major league level. Some people, hey, it's been working for him so far. Why would he change it? Um, and I, I, I completely admit it is an aesthetic thing for me. I just, I don't, I don't like the look of it. <laughs> I can't really explain it other than that. 
but mechanically, I, I can't really complain because timing wise, it seems like he stays on top. And also, um, from a plate approach standpoint, 12.3% swing strike rate. Again, that's combined 21.6% K rate, 10.6% uh, walk rate. So it's not like it, it, it throws his timing off. It's not like it makes him chase at um, bad pitchers or pitchers that are completely outside the zone. Um, so it's working again for him thus far. And I think given the age, given the fact that uh, they need a, a another piece and, and he's a lefty bat, so that works for him as well. I would be curious to see, um, and it, it's, it's pure speculation at this point, but with the change dimensions in Toronto, I'm curious to see just overall how all their guys um, play now with, with some of the change um, dimensions as far as where the fences are. So I, I'm curious to see like what that would mean for um, his power numbers as well. But even if it is, like Nick is saying, you know, scale all these numbers down right scale way back that's still a productive guy to have in a very good lineup as well so you talk you right. think about the run creation environment that he's in he's going to get some rbi chances he's going to get some run score chances um because they're going to put up numbers they're playing in the ale so we know it's a bunch of band boxes across the board even with uh teams you know changing up their their dimension somewhat um so he's a guy that for me i would love to have as a bench bat that's kind of like my first bench bat um, especially again, considering that he plays at second and we know middle infield second base specifically in, uh, uh, fantasy is very thin. Like you go after those first four or five guys and it, it fall, the talent starts to fall off like very steeply. So finding a guy that can be productive, that's in a productive, um, space is going to be a boon. And I think the pricing on him, like to, to, to quote, uh, you know, the price today is not the price it was yesterday. So I think you you are going to be paying more of a premium now, and and definitely if he puts up great numbers in spring training to really win that starting job, if if he wasn't already uh, uh, on the wire for you, he's not going to be on the wire for you. Uh, anybody that has him on their team is not going to be looking to give him up easily. But look around if you can find him for cheap. Still, now is probably the last stop that you can get him for cheap before that price is going to go way up. So. That's a that's Barger. Um, so we we kind of I'm going to skip around. I'm going to go to one single guy. But then we have a group of three that I want to talk about to kind of finish this off. So I'm going to skip ahead to Will Benson. And then we're going to come back to our group of three. So Will Benson also made his major league debut last year. Uh, was drafted in 2016. Also out of high school. Noticing a theme here. Um, and. Limited plate appearances, only 61 plate appearances. Therefore, his stat line, not super robust at all. Um, 182, 250, 200 is the triple slash. Three RBIs, um, had a 31% uh, K rate, only 4.9% walk rate. But I want to ask, um, I know with Cleveland, the, the outfield is, is was in all sorts of you know flux again. Um, we, we've been talking about that throughout this podcast. Benson has been was a guy that kind of was not necessarily um, highly ranked, but definitely somebody that people start to take notice of because of his minor league numbers. Do we think Benson can win a actual starting job this year? If so, I, I guess I kind of want to know what what the path to that looks like. What is the path to him being a starting major leaguer look like in twenty twenty three? 
Uh, I think he can. I think he can when looking at the competition in the Reds outfield. I think we're looking at a lot of guys who have had the chance to prove it. We've been kind of waiting on it uh, with like TJ Friedel, Nick Senzel. Um, we've been waiting on them to prove it. And I think they've had plenty of opportunities. And I think that the Reds are going to be very open to someone else coming in and winning a job. Um, and, you know, especially since the Reds, are, I think this is the year where they're telling all their young guys, they're giving all their young guys the opportunities, I hope, as someone who lives in Cincinnati. Um, and I think it's it'll this one will be a big development season for them. You know, the guys who are ready, get them the at-bats and see what you have for the next run that you make probably in 2025. I think you're starting to prioritize um, more like youth upside than, you know, some of the people that have been here for a minute through the through the rebuild. Um, and so, yeah, I think he could definitely take a job from one of those two guys. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that he, um, the spring will be huge for him and he showed, um, he showed a lot of good stuff, uh, last year. So I'm really, I, I was so excited when I heard about the trade. Um, so I'm really excited for it. Yeah. And note about that, um, completely blanked. I was still talking about him as being part of the guardians team and he did get traded. So thanks for catching me on that. <laughs> Nick, what are your yeah? You, you, you don't want to be an infield prospect for Cincinnati because the competition is so fierce. But an outfield prospect, just come on down. <laughs> We're glad to have you. And Benson is the kind of guy who adjusts and then comes back the next year and does much better. And so the fact that his um, early major league stuff wasn't that impressive, watch for it this year to solidify. And he's got a good um, bat skills. He's got the power got some speed. I, I think he's going to do well. I think he's going to uh, do well on the team this year. So uh, I guess the, the only other question, just to wrap up on Benson before we move to our last group here, is um, thinking about him, obviously we know uh, Great American, small park as some people like to refer to it, right? Like that always gives a nice little um, added advantage when it comes to, to power. Um, like sure. we were talking about Jake, having kind of a, a, a sort of youth movement in Cincinnati means that the opportunities should be there for him, um, at least to, to start camp in a dynasty uh, framework. It still seems like he just profiles as, you know, closer to the end of your roster bench bat from a redraft standpoint. Um, is this a guy that you're kind of targeting as, Hey, you know, if he gets hot early, I want to make sure I'm, I'm on top of him. Are you, are you, taking him late in a draft or are you waiting for him to be available? Like I said, uh, you know, just free agent wise and just kind of keeping him high on your watch list. Like from a redraft standpoint, what's your approach mm -hmm. when it comes to Benson? Yeah, I think um, right now he, you know, there was a little bit of hype around him when the trade was announced um, as people are kind of like, okay, who is this guy? You know, what has he done? Um, but I think that that is only like, that's not going to really translate into him being, um, taken much in drafts right now the only drafts that he is being drafted in are the dcs which are i think like 800 900 people deep um and so right now his adp in those is 715 so um he i would be shocked if he is drafted in any like standard leagues you know that aren't really deep draft and holds even like a 15 team standard league i don't think he'll get drafted in um and i also think that people won't be super quick to jump on him you know if he um if he, even if he does win the job, he's on the Reds, um, which aren't a great team that doesn't get a lot of publicity. And I think we'll have some time to watch him, see what he does, watch his like batted ball quality, um, and then jump on him, you know, maybe in May. Um, you know, I think that 
there will be up. He'll get his opportunity and he'll be someone that like, you know, the people who know about him will be ready for him. And I think you have to kind of, uh, once the transaction report comes through, you know, on your fantasy app, I think that will be um, potentially too late. It's like, oh, he has this hot streak. Oh, he's already on rosters. Um, yeah. So when that happens, you got to be ready for it. But I don't think he's one that will be drafted or even picked up in the first couple of weeks. Um, I think he'll have some time to show us what he has before he starts getting gaining in popularity. I wonder, thinking about what Nick said about uh, Vincent being one of these guys that kind of needs to repeat a level, or like, you know, kind of kind of repeat a grade, so to speak. I wonder if he's a guy that it makes a lot of sense to even just target as a second half um, pickup, right? Like, just let him go for the entire first half. Like, uh, obviously, unless he's, you know, completely killing it for some reason. But, you know, yeah, I think Jake's warning is that he might kill it from spring training. You, you never know. And so if that's the case, it's too late. Um, he already had a taste of the majors, so this might be his regroup year. Um, so we're going to finish up with this group of three. Uh, this is coming out of the desert um, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So three names, I think they will all be known to our audience in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and we're going to kind of just talk through, I guess, maybe a little would you rather, how, how do we think that they're going to be deployed and, and used. Um, that's Brandon Fott, Dre Jameson, Ryan Nelson. Um Jameson and Nelson, of course, made their MLB debuts uh, last season. Five torch AAA, uh, I believe, was the MILB pitcher of the year, if I have that correct. Um, and just to give some, some quick numbers real quick, and I, again, I know you have some Stuff Plus uh, things here, Jake, I want you to get to. But uh, Jameson is 25. He had 138, point, uh, 138 and a third uh, total innings pitch. In 2022, uh, 24 and a third of them were at that major league level. Nelson, also 25, he had uh, 154 and a third total innings pitched. Uh, 18 and a third of them were at the major league level. Also did have an energy, uh, injury that finished up his season a bit early. And then, uh, like I said, you have Brandon Fott, who was 24. Uh, 167 innings pitched in 2022, all at the minor league level. And again, uh, Nick and I have talked about Fod and what he's done specifically in the PCL and how incredible that is. Um, and I, you, Nick, I just want you to know, I referenced that conversation every time I'm talking to somebody about the Diamondbacks pitching specifically or just any pitching in the PCL. <clears throat> like anytime you're looking at pitchers in the PCL, you have to grade on the curve. And what Brandon Fye did, like, completely just flipped that curve upside down. A plus. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was ridiculous. It, it's more than ridiculous. It's unheard of, really. I mean, Ryan Nelson goes to AAA Reno and has the good taste to fall on his face like every other normal pitcher does. And if you get out of there with a 1.5 whip, you call it a moral victory and you don't have to have a therapy bill. But what Fott did is something that just, it's like the cartoon where the hat flies off. It's like, are you, you kidding me? He's zooming along through double A. He goes up to Reno in the Pacific Coast League. And if you know me, um, that's where you get the horror effects, right? And in his first month, he goes on the road for four out of five games, two games in Albuquerque, one game in Las Vegas. And now it's like really horror. It's the environment. Psycho, psycho theme is playing, right? It's like, and sure enough, his walk rate doubled from 4% to 8%. Oh, here it comes. 
September, he does five more starts, 4%. Meanwhile, he's still striking out a third of the guys. Are you kidding me? This guy, I want to see him go to Coors Field. I want to see him, like, you know, strike out 20 guys in a game. That's that's what this is like to me when you can do that in the PCL. So, yeah, I guess I'm getting ahead of your question. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think you, you can tell who I prefer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have it open to the floor. And, and I want to point out, just to go back, you know, we talk about the PCL, we talk about uh, um, Reno, but it's important to, to note if you look at um, Baseball America's, their park factors over the past couple of years, they've done a great job with releasing park factor numbers for um, minor league stadiums. Double uh, A, Amarillo, is worse, I would say, is, is the most hitter friendly ballpark. <laughs> And all of minor league, so you're talking about the the Diamondbacks have like perfectly set up their pitchers to go through the gauntlet before they yep. even get to the major league level, having to go through Amarillo and then having to go through Reno at the high level. And again, fought handled Double A, handled Triple A, made that adjustment like you were talking about, Nick. Um, so yeah, I I still mourn mourn the fact that I in 2021 had him was early on him, dropped him to make a roster spot for somebody else. I'm leaving. Yeah, I mean, you know what? And I don't even blame you. There. And it was, I was like, oh, I, I was like, he's going to be around. Literally, was, I was like, I just need to roster spot for this guy. And then next week, I'm picking him back up. And within that week, gone, never to return. Nope. And yeah. not my friend. Yeah, not my friend. Yeah, I don't, Goodbye. I don't blame you. There. Jake, Jake, what do you have to say about about Fodder or really any of these guys? Because I'm a big fan of Nelson, yeah. and and I like Jameson yeah. as well. Yeah, so I think um, you know we were talking about with the innings pitched is really important because with pitching prospects, a lot of the time we're look we're so excited about them and we can't wait. But then we look and they're like, oh, well, they only had eighty innings pitched last year across levels. They had sixty, um, and you know organizations aren't going to bump that up right away to one fifty. Um, you know it's going to be a bit more gradual, especially if there was any sort of like uh, injury concerns. But these guys were workhorses last year for minor leaguers, and so they could all come up and and put in a really good inning sample this season. Um, and when you look at the major league starting rotation, um, right now there's just one kind of clear and open spot available. Um, and then you have a lot of, uh, veterans Zach, well, Zach Allen is uh, like the guaranteed spot. He's their young gun. Um, and then you have this group of three veterans, Merrill Kelly, Madison Bumgarner and Zach Davies. And, um, you know, you kind of, you can't send them back down. You know, those are there until the Diamondbacks want to part ways with them. The Zach Davies signing was frustrating from a prospect's perspective but as a team it makes sense right you don't want to kind of like even though the diamondbacks aren't going to be in contention you don't want to rely on the young guys for that many innings and so it makes sense for the team to sign zach davies but it was just like oh man that's just another spot um with that being said um i don't think the team has like they're not married to zach davies by any means it was a one year like four million dollar contract uh for 2023 so um, you know, he, he was also just bad last year. So I think they could part ways with him if necessary, if someone forces the issue. But right now that like fifth spot is the one that's up for grabs right now. And then I see probably, um, you know, by the end of the year, I think another one of them will kind of come in. Um, I think Fott has a really good chance, um, to throw a lot of innings, but, um, right now I think to make it out of the gate, my favorite is, is Ryan Nelson because, you know, just cause he has that upper hand of making the majors last year and succeeding, um, and then I think Fod is really close behind. Uh, Jameson is probably the one that's lagging for me. Um, you know, but to go into you know some of that uh, data with the pitching models, Ryan Nelson last year um, was a favorite of of both major pitching models. Um, he had a 107.9 pitching plus, uh, which is fantastic. 
um, good stuff plus a good location plus uh, had a 253 pitches so it's not quite you know um, at that 400 pitch level but it's still you know a decent sample you still kind of see some potential there um, and then PLV also loved him he was 95th percentile in overall PLV and then 99th percentile in overall PLA um, and you know so it's like the the pitches are great um, the fastball is incredible um, it's not a high velocity fastball but it's a high ride fastball. It has a ton of vertical movement. Um, Pitcher list has it as an 11.7 inches of vertical movement, which last year would have been fourth in major league baseball. Um, so that's, I mean, fantastic. Like I was looking at this pre pre show and my jaw dropped uh, when I saw that his, um, you know, and he used a fastball 70% of the time last year, you know, again, in a small sample, but you know, he's very confident in that obviously, but um his other pitches are not far behind. His slider um, is also fantastic. Uh, let me pull up the PLV real quick. His PLV slide on his slider was 5.71, which is 98th percentile. Mm. Um, and his PLA on just the slider, so like uh, PLV but on the ERA scale, 1.69. Uh, <laughs> only 28 sliders thrown, so like you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But like, holy cow. Um, and he only threw it 11% of the time. And so again, another one that can maybe optimize the mix. We love the four seamer, throw it all you can get away with. That's great. Um, but you can mix in, I think the secondaries a little bit more and, um, yeah, I, I really like what he's shown. And I also can't wait for Fott to get into majors. Cause then we have all this data on him that we already have on Fott and, or Nelson and Jameson. So, um, you know, I think it's the bias for me of having seen those guys already and having this data on them, but what Fott was able to do in, Oh my gosh. in the PCL, like you guys were talking about, um, you know, he could leapfrog both of them. So I think Nelson is one that I'm willing to take and I'm targeting in redrafts. Um, and fought is one that I'll take in either deeper, deeper leagues, you know, or maybe a draft and hold, uh, but then be ready to pounce on him. you know, depending on how he does in the spring and when he looks like he's going to make that rotation. But I think for me, Nelson has the front runner right now, just because of, um, how far along he got. Um, but yeah, fought could, fought could leapfrog them both. So with Jameson, right, Jameson seems to be maybe low man on the totem pole here. Um, is there any uh, thought that I know with Nelson, let me let me start there. I know with Nelson, his 2019 looked much different than his 2021, which really kind of helped make that transition. Coming into 2021, um, obviously post, uh, post the COVID season, um, Really, the thought process was this guy is much more of a reliever, two-pitch mix, like you said, fastball slider. And with his command issues, he's not going to be able to survive as a starter. Definitely start to log more innings, showed better command in 2021. Of course, that translated 2022, and then he made his major league debut. But do you have any questions that maybe because he is fastball, so fastball, especially heavy, along with the slider, maybe the Diamondbacks bump him, into a bullpen role, maybe that creates some more space for Jamison, who is a little bit more well-rounded when it comes to pitch mix, maybe not necessarily the results, but pitch mix-wise, Jamison has a little bit more to offer there. Does that give Jamison maybe a leg up in some way, shape, or form, or are you kind of confident that um, the results from Nelson are just going to kind of blow blow Jamison out of the water? I think it's almost the opposite. I, I trust Nelson's skills more than I trust Jameson. I think Jameson has a better chance to make something out of spring training. He and Nelson are vying for that. 
but I worry about Jameson in the long run because he's only six foot even and his extension is just not there in the delivery. And so the Diamondbacks say, oh no, he's a starter. But other scouts say, well, he's probably a reliever long-term. And it's because of that. They're, they're afraid he's not going to get through the, the lineup uh, multiple times. Of course, nowadays, who does? <laughs> but you get the point that there's a little worry that his, um, his stuff will not play. And so... Like Jake said, I'm putting Nelson and Fott above Jameson as far as skills, and I think those two are likely to stay a starter. Um, I think Jameson is more at risk. Interesting. Well, that's good to know. I, I will, I will take note of that. Um, like I said, I'm always looking for those young failed starters to pick up to to bolster my my bullpen for cheap. So I'll I'll keep that in mind. Um, with that all being said, I mean, that's, that's the show. Um, what I wanted to kind of end on before we get into to promos and all that sort of stuff was uh, very excited about the start of a new season, of course. Um, very excited about some of the changes that um, Major League Baseball announced regarding uh, MILB being more included in their broadcast. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. I encourage uh, everybody as always, to um, watch, watch, watch the games. Um, the stats are great when it comes to prospecting, uh, looking at all the different numbers, the pitching models, all that sort of stuff is, is awesome. But however you can, whenever you can, whether it be in person, whether it be your apps and, and TV, whatever, um, actually watch the games because there's a lot of things that will jump out at you um, for you to, to say like, oh, that I, I came to watch for this guy, but this other guy is actually kind of interesting or um, I thought, you know, it may be, it kind of changes up some of your expectations about certain players once you actually see them in action. Um, so that's just my little tidbit, my little soapbox on. Um, I'm glad to see that major league baseball is incorporating minor league baseball a little bit more. Uh, that's always fun just in general to grow the game, but also fun for us in the dynasty and the prospect world. With that being said, Nick, what do you got to promote? Uh, I know you, you're doing great work again on MILBanalysis.com. What else is yeah. there? Um, I'm also with the minor league team on BaseballHQ.com. And uh, just recently we posted the HQ Top 100. And in my Twitter days have come to an end because they got rid of the third-party uh, apps and I had to start seeing ads and messed up timelines and i said nope none of that so i'm sorry folks i'm not on twitter anymore but i am on mastodon you can find me there at milb analysis at masthead.social that's at milb analysis at masthead.social and if you can't figure out mastodon i'm happy to explain how to master masterdon is actually quite pleasant yeah i may have to take you up on that nick because I've, I've struggled and I, I think of myself as pretty pretty tech savvy but I, I don't know for some reason i haven't wrapped my head around it so but we will make sure to have um that profile in the show notes as well so people can find you on mastodon uh along with the website of course milbanalysis.com you also still have the book as well so if you yes i do me, uh, go out and grab the it. visual guide to minor leaguers using graphics to find prospects an ebook for a buck. There you go. There you go. Jake, what we got coming up 
uh, from the, the, the master of markets, Jake Mache. What's going on? <laughs> um, right now I'm drafting. I'm drafting. Uh, <laughs> I wrote, I think, six articles in January uh, and did a few of these pods. So I kind of took a break, quick break from the articles, focusing on drafting, doing these podcasts, and then I'll, you know, start writing a bit more. Um, I think I'll do one of these, uh, um, one of our pitcher list top 10 prospects, uh, like positional prospects that we're starting um, at the Dynasty team. So I'll probably grab one of those in the coming week or two. Um, but yeah, other than that, right now it's just it's this podcast. It's and then you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mache, M A I S H. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna. I think we were actually might be vying for the same um, positional rankings because I think we were looking at we were both looking at second base. I think I stole that from you. Um, yeah, you got it. You got it. <laughs> but I think hey, shortstop's still available though. Hey, you'll have on that oh, one. That, well, that's even more fun. So same right. same on my end. Um, Positional rankings uh, will be coming out. Uh, my article should be coming out this week. I think is the due date, so that should be happening. Of course, you can find me here hosting on the farm uh, alongside Jake. And uh, I think, I think um, the newsletter, Inside Fastball newsletter, will be coming back. Of course, that got moved to Substack, also for Twitter-related reasons, as Nick was pointing out. Um, uh, but I think I, 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 I'm feeling I'm feeling the need for speed, so I think I've revived that for the new season. So be on the lookout for Inside Fastball newsletter. Uh, with that being said, Nick, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time, your your insights. Uh, really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, thank you. Um, the first time this season, but I'm sure will not be the last time this season. Uh, Anytime. Always, always want to let um, <clears throat> listeners know that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. Uh, like you said, Jake, you can find Jake on Twitter at Jake Mache. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. With that being said, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>